All right, welcome to On the Shoulders of Giants. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how Jesus was not some soft hippie. So really today, there's an idea that Jesus was just kind of soft, effeminate, very mild man, that, that really he, he didn't stand up for the truth. He didn't call people out on sin. He wasn't bold. And we want to counter that idea. So we argue that the church has become effeminate because, of, because we believe in a not-so-masculine Jesus. So our church today is not very bold in, in the U.S. There, there are not many preachers who are going and just standing on Scripture and standing on Scripture alone. They have to water things down. They've got to go in and you know be kind of mild about all sorts of issues because they're, they're afraid that if they actually stand up and speak on what the Scriptures teach, then they're going to get in trouble, and they probably will. But we need pastors who are going to stand on Scripture anyway, and not only pastors. The pastors are influencing the congregation, and because we have weak pastors, we have weak congregations in the U.S. And what's happened? The church has become very progressive. We've lost touch with really the strong masculine Christianity of the Bible. I mean, you look at the apostles— all, you know, uh, they were extremely bold. There's a story with Paul when he was in Lystria, and he gets he, he almost gets killed. And then he goes out after he almost gets killed. They thought he was dead, and so they, they left him. He goes and he preaches in another town for a while. But then you know what he does? He comes right back. So we have these bold, strong masculine men as the the founding of our church and then what exists today is weakness so first corinthians 16 13 says be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men be strong did jesus not fit these was jesus it, it, the verse says act like men Right. And now with all the gender confusion stuff, we'll say, oh, well, you know, kind of being being bold and and being a leader. Those aren't necessarily masculine qualities. You know, women can do those things as well. Clearly, we'll, we'll pretend because of the gender stuff going on nowadays, that there's no distinction between man and woman that God created them the exact same, that they have the exact same function in society, that there's no difference. And so what you have is this verse, when, when Paul is saying, act like men, what is he saying? Is he, just, is he just saying something that means absolutely nothing? No. We realize that there is masculinity. We know what masculinity looks like. And because it's been corrupted by some you know, high school, college guys who treat women like toys and they'll go and, and just have sex with whoever they want. They, they treat people poorly and then they'll say, oh, well, this is what masculinity looks like is to basically just act like animals and be crazy. No, that's not what we're saying either. Those guys are acting like children. 
act like men, be responsible, be bold, stand on, stand on scripture, defend truth, protect your children, protect your, your wives, protect the people in society. Stop submitting. Stop kneeling down to culture because you're afraid. Because you're afraid of what it's going to do to your reputation. Because you're afraid of losing your friendships. Because you're afraid of losing your job, whatever it is. Stop submitting to society. Where are the strong, bold, masculine men? Really, the, th the, the issue is we see Jesus this way. You know, he's portrayed in all the paintings as some European guy with long hair, pretty skinny. And you think of him and it's like you can just imagine him with a peace sign hanging out, right? That, you know, it, it, all, it all derives from this view of how he was that's just blatantly false and so we read the gospels through this lens of kind of a weak jesus and we don't actually listen to the things he says this idea that he was weak that the god of the old testament he was this strong powerful holy god but jesus wasn't like that that's the notion today that jesus the new testament god was different than the old testament god jesus in the old testament was different than he you know when he came well he did come as a servant if you listen to the things he says he is not the man that people say he is he is strong he is bold he is righteous he is holy he is masculine he worked with his hands he was a carpenter you know and what's happening now is we see a, a weak christianity that's not attractive you look uh, you look in the East, there's these UFC fighters. One of my friends pointed this out to me. There, there are all of these UFC fighters who subscribe to Islam, and they're really masculine, strong men. They're going out there, they're these fighters, and all they do is they train, they stand on their faith, and they love their families. That's all that they do. They're not wasting all of their weekends going out and going to bars and trying to have sex with everybody and act like animals? No, these guys are acting, they're acting like men, right? Where is that in Christianity? Why, why are we not the lights in the world? Where are the, where, where, where are the people that are acting like men and being strong? There's very few of them, and the guys that are doing that end up being these pillars for the faith it shouldn't be that way we should all be like that and so people will see this kind of weak christianity and, and it's not attractive it's not taken seriously and we have these church functions to try to get people attracted to christianity and all we do we sell them short of christianity we we water down the bible water down the gospel we don't teach total depravity because we're afraid and so we sell people short of christianity and then even if they convert 
all they're doing is they're living a Christian life that is short of what the Bible teaches. And will play a bunch of games. The church, the way that it attracts, especially for the younger crowd, you get the college, high school students, they do these functions where they try to play games the whole time. They'll do a weekend where 95% of it is just spent playing games. And so then you have some mature guy who wants to be a man. He wants to be masculine. And all you're doing is, you know, playing soccer and beach volleyball and messing around the whole time. He, you know, what what's he going to do? He's going to stick to his small groups. And that's it. He's not going to be very active in the church. And so we've lost these guys who, who would be our leaders. We end up the leaders in the church now are guys who just want to mess around and play games because they want to get numbers up in the church. And then the guys who would be strong, masculine leaders end up sitting in the back. And so I'm, I'm going to talk about who Jesus is, and it's going to be mainly three things about him. Jesus was bold, or sorry, Jesus is bold. Jesus is a warrior, and Jesus is the Lord. So first, Jesus is bold. So let's look, you look in the Gospels, and we're, we're going to be using verses throughout Jesus, Jesus was calling people to be his disciples. And so he asks, he, he goes to all of these people and, you know, he would go to people and say, follow me. Or people would come up to him uh, and say, I want to follow you. And so there's one example where Jesus is calling people to be his disciples. And when he asks a man to follow him, the man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Can you imagine if anybody said anything like that today? Some guy is mourning the, the loss of his father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own, or leave the dead to bury their own dead. Oh man, Jesus, how unloving. Oh Jesus, that's not gentle of you. You know, we need to soften the truth because you have to attract people who don't really want to go to a true form of Christianity. We want to lessen Christianity. No, Jesus is Jesus is bold. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine anybody saying, any pastor, any Christian man saying that today because we've lost the boldness. And, and you might say, well, that sounds very unloving of Jesus. There's nothing more loving than the truth. There's nothing more loving than the truth. And of course, if you're just going in and trying to be bold for the sake of being bold, for the sake of winning arguments, that's a huge disservice, and that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was pointing out to this man that what mattered more than anything in life is following him and being a disciple. Mattered more than anything in life. He's also pointing out truths on people outside of Christ are dead. And in Christ, there's life. Is he is he being extremely bold in communicating that? Yeah. Yeah, he is. You know, we care so much about emotions that we've lost touch with truth. And so we'll, we'll say things like, is it more important to be loving or to be telling the truth? How does that even make sense? 
Are you loving if you're deceiving somebody? Are you loving if you're not telling somebody the truth? There's no such thing as being loving outside of the truth. Tell somebody the truth. That's loving. Do it because of your love for them. That's loving. John, okay, so another example of the difference between how the sort of effeminate, weak church of today is treating growing numbers, growing the church versus what Jesus did. John 6. So this is right after Jesus had uh, fed hundreds or thousands of people with some loaves of bread, and he ends up going and walking on water, and then he comes back in the crowd. There's, there's a crowd. And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is John six fifty three to 56. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Do we not see how bold that is? I mean, we grow up and you, you hear these things over and over again. And so, of course, we understand the spiritual side of things, that what he's saying is that in him there's life. And that in, in him is the only life, right? But I don't think we, we realize how significant and how bold it is for Jesus to say it in, in the way that he said it, how shocking it was to the people at the time because these people the the Jews at the time they'd heard you know for generations since the days of Noah they were forbidden from eating any animal with its life blood still in it the life was the blood and so they were forbidden for from drinking blood since the days of Noah and then on top of that the pagans around them in their in their worship of false gods would drink animal blood and so the Jews had a very very strong reaction against blood it was a disgusting thing to, or not blood itself was not a disgusting thing but eating and drinking blood was associated one with lawlessness because it was breaking what God commanded Noah but also with pagan idolatry and so for Jesus to not only be saying that you have to eat his flesh and his blood. Not only is that shocking just for the just for the fact that you know they're it's eating blood, but also because it's he's talking about cannibalism that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Imagine if you hadn't ever heard these verses before and you heard just um you just heard a man say something like that. Just imagine how shocking that would be. Was Jesus trying to downplay truth in order to attract people? No, not at all. If anything, he was trying to be so shocking that only the people that really wanted to follow him would be left. He cared more about having people who truly wanted to be there than he did about the numbers. We don't need to go out 
and try to give a watered-down Christianity so that we can attract more numbers? Not at all. What we need to do is give people Christianity as it is, as the Bible proclaims. And if people are going to be disciples, they're going to be disciples. It's in God's hands. It's not in our hands. And so if, if you want more evidence that it was extremely bold, I'm getting to John right now. Let's see. Look at, let's look at what the disciples' reactions to this were. So the disciples, it's, so verse 60 of John 6, uh, and we're going to continue past verse 60, but when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So clearly it was offending them. Then what What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So he goes and he's, he's explaining what, what his teaching was, but clearly he knew it was offensive and he said it anyway. And what happened to the crowd? They left. The crowd left. And what does Jesus say? He, goes, he turns to the twelve and says, Do you want to go away as well? That's verse 66. Clearly, Jesus knew it was offensive. He knew it was shocking, and he said it anyway. Why? We don't have a weak, effeminate Jesus. We have a strong, bold leader. How glorious is that? And he said it all out of love and care because he didn't want, he didn't want people deceived. He wanted people following him. They, he wanted people who were zealous for truth and for righteousness and for holiness. How incredible is Christ? So not only is Christ bold, Christ is a warrior. So Christ, we know that Christ in his ministry was bringing his kingdom. Matthew 12, 24 to 29 says, But when the Pharisees heard, that, heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom, this is Jesus, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided, its, divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. And listen to this, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and we know it was by the Spirit of God, it, he wasn't casting it out by demons, he was casting it out by the Spirit of God, and, and he says, but if, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? That's Satan. He binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So Jesus had bound Satan, and that's how he was able to cast out demons. And what, and what does it say? If it is by the Spirit of God that he casts out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
So what, what happened? The kingdom of God happened then, or it was instituted then. We're not waiting for the kingdom of God. It is upon us already as of 2,000 years ago, uh, uh, roughly. And so we can see the way the kingdom comes is not through a physical sword. John 18, 33 to 37 says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is our king who is a warrior. The kingdom has come upon us. He is fighting. He was slaying demons. He, he, he was, was bringing about this kingdom through the word, through proclaiming truth. We, we know through Hebrews that the word of God, the Bible, is our sword. It is a sword used against the enemy we're fighting a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And who, who is the chief warrior? Christ is. He's not some, you know, just kind of soft guy who's going to sit down and surrender like a lot of what Christians are doing right now. No, he went out and he fought. He said he, he proclaimed truth boldly. He was willing to die for his church. Who are we supposed to emulate? Christ. What was Christ? What is Christ? A warrior. Let us do the same. So Christ not only is bold, he's not only a, a, a king, a warrior, but he is Lord. And so a, a lot of a lot of people will use that language. They'll call Jesus Lord. Oh my, you know, I love the Lord. You know, Jesus is Lord, blah, 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 whatever it is. They they use that language, and it's easy to use, and it's throughout the church, throughout America. But do we take that to mean what it really means? That he's Lord of Lords? That he's King of Kings? Do we take that to really mean what that means? Because if we have some soft Jesus who doesn't really care about sin, that's not the same as the Lord that we proclaim. And what I don't want to do here is, is try to say, oh, Jesus wasn't a servant. No, he was. He was a servant. He, he you know, and he, he is the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace throughout the world. He, he was lowly, he was a man of sorrows, but he is Lord. 
He reigns with a rod of iron and dashes kings to pieces. Look at Psalm 2.9. This language is figurative of the fact that Christ will rule and take down all opposition. Psalm 22.27 depicts that all nations will worship him. 1 Corinthians 15.25-26 says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Besides the fact that the American church sees a Christ who is not truly Lord, we can see that he is and he reigns and he is putting all his enemies under his feet. Now we can look around and say, oh, things are looking really rough. And and, and you say, Jesus is Lord. Well, guess what? Sin is everywhere. But what do we see? That he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. He reigns now. He's Lord now. We're not waiting for a future day. And he is, go- he is now fighting the enemies. Aren't we to do the same? Aren't we to go out and not... You know, we, we can't look at Christ, if you're looking at him through this lens, you can't now look at Christ and say, oh, we should be like him and basically shut up and, you know, not try, try not to offend anyone. No, we say, oh, we have, we have a king, we have a Lord, and he reigns, and he fights and destroys enemies. He's putting all his enemies under his feet. We have a Christ who's bold, cares about the truth, Let's go out and do the same. Let's go out into all spheres of society because Christ rules over all of it. And let's bring the gospel throughout the world. I I want to just do, I'm about done, but I want to do one quick thing on the gospel. Romans 1, Romans 1, 5 says, uh, or Romans 1, 4-5, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's what we're doing. We're bringing the obedience of the faith among all the nations. Go out and, go out and fight. Go out and be bold. Be strong. Do it all out of love. Be gentle but we have a Christ who reigns. His kingdom is here. He's a warrior. We have a we have a sword that cannot be broken, cannot be chipped. The Bible that we we have stand on it. There's no greater honor than to serve Christ. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All right.